All right, this week I have a great message. It's original. I don't, it's, it's new to me. It's called Seek His Kingdom. And uh, that's funny because this is Joss's message from last week. Any, anybody? Nobody? I thought I'd get a lot more pop out of it than that. It must have been. Josh, that's funny though, isn't it? It is funny. So last week, as you know, Josh taught this message. And let me just say, it was spectacular. It was a great message. It was so good, that's why I'm teaching again this week. But last week when Josh was teaching, it took me about, half, about, about halfway through, and I knew what I was teaching this week. Last week, Josh gave us two points uh, about character and behavior. It's your relationship with God and then your participation in the kingdom. And this week, I want to talk more about the second part. Uh, I see this as bookends. When Josh was teaching, I knew what I wanted to teach this week. And uh, if, if you're close to someone, reach over and say, hey, he might get a little emotional, but it'll be okay. Tell, tell somebody, because tell somebody, it could happen. Hey. So, hey, I'm telling you. Like I even look at it. The Apostle Luke is the only Gentile to have written in our modern day Bible. He is the writer of the third gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Acts of the Apostles. Luke is the only scriptural writer who tells us about the post-resurrection of Jesus Christ and his ministries that spanned an earth time of 40 days. Luke provides a sequel, as it were, and this sequel was at least equal to the first one. Have you ever seen a sequel and you're like, Pfft. yeah, if you've seen Jason 36, you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. That cat should have went to summer camp about twice and then been done with it. But Luke, don't judge me, don't judge me. Luke provides a sequel in the book of Acts. Luke continues his story beyond the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as if that were not enough onto the growth of the early church. So if you would, join me on top of the Mount of Olives, and uh, let's look and see what the Scripture says. Acts 1, 3 through 11 says this, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, See, that's why eating is a great time to, to meet. That's a great conversation thing. He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, I could give you a whole different message on the kingdom they were looking to get restored because at this point, they're still missing the fastball. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Jesus' answer, hey, you don't get to know everything. Don't we love that? 
After he said this, he was taken up before them, and, uh, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee? Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. They were standing because they thought it was a quick trip. He was just going to come on back. Now, can you imagine these men standing on top of this mountain just doing this? You know, I'd say hands in pockets, but they didn't have jeans then. And these two angelic hosts go, hey, what are you doing? It's time to get on with it. I tell you what, if we really want to cause something, let's get 10, 12 of us go out and stand by the interstate this afternoon. It just, it'll stop down. Listen, I got a dollar and some donuts that says you make the Herald Banner. I got two dollars and two dozen donut holes that says you make at least social media. Now, the Mount of Olives is an important place because this is where the Lord ascended back into heaven and has promised to come back. And this is what the prophet tells us. <coughs> Zechariah says, On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west and a very wide valley so that half of the mountains shall move northward and half shall move southward. When Jesus comes again, the second coming, not the rapture, second coming, another sermon, but when he comes the second time, he will come to that same place. Why? Because the angels promised this Jesus who has gone up before you will come back again in the same way. Uh, But when he comes back, things are going to change. That's another different story. But the Mount of Olives is a significant place, and it is awaiting yet one last significant event that could happen maybe today. Maybe today. So today, I want to quickly discuss with you the birth of the church. Don't you love births? A birth changes everything, doesn't it? Uh, I, read, <laughs> I read an account of one man uh, who actually fainted at the birth of his first child. And can you imagine having, you know, revived dad and everything? And, but man, I'm telling you, there's something about the birth, about a birth of a child especially, that changes everything. <coughs> you think you're tough until you've seen a birth of a child. You think you know everything until you have a child. You think you make good money until you have children. Uh, I, I ramble on. Uh, but the birth of the church, let's look at it very quickly. Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, they were all in the upper room, but I'll tell you, they were more than in a physical place. They were in a spiritual place. The church is unstoppable. The church is powerful when it is in one place together, not just physically, but spiritually. When we are in tune together and in tune with what God would have us to do, it is an an unstoppable force. The challenge is getting us all in one place. Suddenly, a sound like like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house that they were seated in. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. 
all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And there's another message on the tongues, but we're not going there today either. If you can imagine, these people saw the horrificness of Christ's death. They saw the beauty of Christ's resurrection for 40 days. And now God the Holy Spirit has come not only to be over them, but to be with them and to be in them. Amen? God takes up residence in those who claim his son. You don't have to go looking for him. He lives inside of you. The world doesn't have to go looking for God because God never got lost. I apologize some months ago, and I'll say it again. I am terribly sorry for where I drugged the Lord to all those years he was searching after me. I'm, I'm, I'm utterly ashamed at where my Savior followed me. But that's a different story. But in this moment, God birthed the thing called the church. And in this moment, the church resided in a very small geographic location. Oh, but it wouldn't be there long. (coughs) Not only would it not be there long, but it has reached all the way to Greenville, Texas. And has resided here for quite some time. Let's look at the birth of the church. So what is the church? If you ask 10 people, what is the church? We'd probably be, have our feelings hurt. Well, it's a building. Um, <laughs> it's a place where a bunch of hypocrites gather. Hello, president. Uh, it's a place that only wants your money. What else would people say? Anybody? Well, you ask them, what is the church? Anybody? Social event. Social event. It's like the Kiwanis and, you know, and hey, they're all great people. I'm not hating but we are not a social group. What else? Anybody else? One more time. Pedophiles. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. On that note, I'm closing and going on. (laughs) But brother, you spoke truth. So uh, I just want to make sure I give you something free today. So we have the original church in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit was given to the early church. And from there, today... There's the individual church. Well, who is that? That's you. You see, the church is built by individuals. You cannot be saved because of someone else's faith. You cannot claim heaven as your own because your grandmama was a godly woman. My friends, the church, individual, must be you. You must be saved. You must be born again. You must be transformed. You must claim it for your own. And if you have not, my friends, heaven is not your promise. The individual church is you and I. It is me. Then we have the family church. Now, if you're, if you're a part of a family, you know, as the, as the husband of one wife, my bride, as the father of two beautiful children and a great granddaughter and a, and a son-in-law, I have a family. And then there's the church family. It is our privileged responsibility, men, especially men, first and foremost men, that we would teach our homes spiritual truth and that we would lead them in the way of spiritual truth. The first Bible your child should ever read is you. They should hear the name of the Lord. They should see the attitude and actions of the Lord. And then we bring this family into the local church. Now, who is that? Well, that's us. That's ALF. That's Authentic Life. That's Wesley Methodist. That's Redeemer Lutheran. You just pick one. This is that local expression, that local flavor. Are we like every other church in town? No. 
But every other church in town isn't exactly like us. And guess what? It's okay. It's not a problem. If you're teaching the truth biblically and following the Lord, we're cool. As a matter of fact, on January 1st, all of little ALF is going to go join another church in town for morning worship. And can I just say this? It's going to be different. I don't know if you've ever been there. Uh, yeah, Ronnie, it's the... So the local church <clears throat> is us. Not better than or lesser than. We are not in competition with other believers. They are not our enemies. They are our family. And then we have the church universal. That's every believer in history past. That's every believer that exists on the face of the planet right now and every believer that it will exist as long as the Lord tarries his return. The universal church. So when we say church, it's a big thing, but it's an individual thing. Sometimes we think of the big thing, but we forget the individual thing. The church is only as strong as those who make up the body. Amen? So today's sermon is entitled, Are You the Type of Person God's After? Are you the type of person God is after? Acts 1.8, I left out because that's the, the hinge of our message today, where it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's called the Acts 1.8 mandate. That mandate was pressed deep into the soil of my heart, standing in the jungles of Belize in August of 1990. I was three years into my faith. I loved Jesus. I was born again. But the truth is, is I didn't really understand. I, I didn't... To give a mandate means a command from a superior or an official to a lower one, an authoritative order or command. Acts 1.8 is God's command, his mandate to the church. And who's the church? Say me. Say them. It's a mandate to the church, not just to the pastor of the church. Not just to the missionaries on the field. Not just to the evangelists that swim through from time to time. Not just those on the TV. Not just those on the radio. Not just those on podcasts. The Acts 1 mandate is a mandate to the church. And brothers and sisters, if you claim Jesus, this is your mandate. That young boy is named Juan. And to say that my time standing next to that little boy in those jungles changed my life would be the grossest understatement I may have ever made. That time in my life changed all the other times. I didn't even know where Belize was. I had to look it up on a map. 
And God drugged me to Belize and stuck me in the jungle for two weeks. The stories I could tell you are, are some of the best moments of my life. But it was there that the mandate of God in my life and for my life began to take genuine root. And I thank God. I don't even know how I ended up down there. I don't know who put my name in the hat. But there I was. To be authentic in your witness demands an open, tender heart that is always growing in the experience it proclaims. My friends, part of the reason the message of the church grows stale is because many of the hearts of the individuals who claim it have grown stale. Church is just simply that, that little place on the calendar. Church is something that, you know, we, uh, you know, it's in the grand scheme of things. You know, if it works out, maybe I'll make it, you know. The Acts, one mate, the Acts mandate finds its power in the ongoing growth and experience in the heart of the believer. If God is stale to you, then my friends, you're selling stale crackers. If God is just theoretically something that you wear on a t-shirt, the world sees that. I'll tell you, there is nothing more exciting than to hear someone talking about what God is doing in their lives. And that proclamation is very simple. It doesn't change. The same gospel of the August 1990 trip is the same gospel of ALF in 2022. Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. He died to pay for our sins. He was resurrected. Now he is exalted into heaven. And he who calls to believe in him and in doing so receives forgiveness of sin. That's the gospel. We want to hang so much more on it. That's the gospel. That's the good news. My friend, my question to you is this. Is it still good news to you? Or is it yesterday's news? We sang earlier that he's the God on the mountain and he's the God in the valley. And that's true. But what do our hearts say? What do our hearts feel? The Acts 1 mandate says this, you will receive power when? At the point of your salvation. My friend, I would ask this question, if there's never been any sweet, overwhelming, unexplainable power in your life when it comes to the things of faith, have you met Jesus? There's a lot of people who call his name, but they've never called him Savior. When when you meet Jesus on his terms, God promises that we will receive power. And those powers are the presence of God. He takes up residence inside of us. It's the promises of God. His word is true for you. Every jot and tittle. Whether you feel like it's true or not. Whether the world says it's true or not. 
His promises are true. And then God's potential in you is true. I'm the shadow of the man I once was, but I'm still a shadow of the man I shall become. Amen? God's potential in us to be something more than we were. God's potential for us. And God's potential through us. You shall be my witness. It's personal. Let's say you. You. Now everybody can point back at me. Let's do that. Point at me. You. It's not a suggestion. Stop signs and stoplights may be suggestions today. God help us. But the Acts 1, the Acts 1-8 mandate is not a suggestion. It's not a take it or leave it. My witness. It says this. See, a lot of times people go, well, I, I just don't know if I'd go to Africa. Africa ain't so bad. Sometimes it's bad. <laughs> but but what, what Luke is telling us is this. As you go, if God sends you to Africa, then by all means, go to Africa. But you know what? If God sends you to Chick-fil-A, and I'm not saying that God sends us to Chick-fil-A, but you know what? God, God, God calls you to be just as faithful a witness at Chick-fil-A than you would be in Africa. The other night I came home and my wife says, hey, you want some of these fries? And I said, what are you talking about? And she hands me a Sprite. She says she's so country she can order fries and they serve her a Sprite. And you know what? God called her to be a witness when they hand her a Sprite instead of fries. Instead of throwing it back on them and, you know, and all those things. As you go, you know, I don't know where you go in a week. But wherever you go, guess what? The Acts 1-8 mandate applies. From the great places to the lowly places. From the great number of people and places to that individual. And like Josh said last week, integrity is what you're like when you're all by yourself. And as we go, we proclaim what? His truth, not our truth, his truth. Not our interpretation of his truth. Not what we want his truth to say. His truth and our experiences a lot of people don't believe that God and his word and his church can be transformative because the messengers they often see have not been transformed. They simply say, well, if this is what it looks like, nah, I'm okay. If someone drove up to you in the greatest beat-up, hunk of junk, overpriced jalopy, and they go, hey, I bought this car down at Tom's. You should go there. You're like, nah, I don't think so. I'm good. Or they go, hey, I just went to this buffet, and it was the worst I have ever eaten. I was lucky just to get it in before my body threw it back out. You should try it. You're not going to go there. But think about it. 
Think about it. When we're out in our mission field and we're trying to live like Jesus and he's called us, what does our delivery system look like? Understand that the world wants us to be criticized. Jeff, you said this earlier. The world is not our friend. The world is not going, hey, the church is our partner. Everyone listen to the church. Nope. Mm -mm. So who are the type of people that God is after? Let's look real quickly. First, to be available. God does not begin by asking our ability. You see, if you go for an earthly job, they want to know your ability first, right? Can you do it? And then they work their way down. Well, in God's economy, he doesn't ask about our ability, only our availability. And if we prove our dependability, then he will increase our capability. 35 years ago, the only authority that Jimmy Vaughn had was a 10 by 10 room. And as many teenagers as we could stuff in it. That was the sole realm of my responsibility. And you know what? God didn't ask me for my ability because you know why? I had none. Baby, you'll testify. I said, God, just give me a place to serve. Isn't that right? God, just give me a place to serve where there's teenagers. God, just give me a place to serve. What do you have, Jimmy? Nothing. I got a big bag of nothing. God, give me a place to serve. And he goes, well, let's test this, shall we? He gave me the midnight to eight shift at the juvenile detention center from midnight Saturday night to eight o'clock Sunday morning. One shift a week, the worst shift of the week. If a juvenile is going to get thrown in jail, it's Saturday night after midnight. God, give me a place to serve. All right, Jimmy, let's see. I took that one shift. And I got a witness. I was at church every Sunday morning, wasn't I, baby? I'd looked like death eating a soda cracker. And from that one shift, it began to grow. And eventually, I became the supervisor of said detention facility. And God began to grow what he had placed under my hands and under my authority. You see, my availability and my dependability, I just kept doing the work. And then God increased my capability. You see, far too many of us close the door on the mandate based on what we think our abilities are. Let me tell you this. Whenever God calls from you, he will put in you. How do I know that? Hello? Do you remember this time 18 years ago? Thanksgiving, I remember it was Thanksgiving dinner. It was delicious. And uh, one Jeff Phillips saunders up to me and he goes, Hey, man, we used to talk to each other like that. He goes, Hey, man, have you ever thought about maybe just being our pastor? And I'm like, No. <laughs> no, I haven't. <clears throat> well, you know why? That right there. And I thank God that I wasn't ignorant enough and persistent enough to miss what God had for me and for us. Wherever you can be trusted with a little, or whoever can be trusted with a little can be trusted with a lot. 
I prayed in that little 10 by 10 room and I said, God, anything that you place under my authority, I will hold loosely and try to use mightily for you. Because it all belongs to him. And that carries on to this day. So available for our time, prioritization, for our talents, God-given and learned. You know, you say, well, I just don't have a, a talent set that way. Well, maybe you can learn one. I'd never pastored a church either. Dun, da, da, da. And our treasures. You know, the thing about it is we spend too much time talking about money because money always follows the heart. Money's not a problem. If your heart's following the Lord, those things follow themselves. How can I know if I'm available? That's, I always get that question. Jimmy, how can I know? Uh, watch the watch, the one that I'm not wearing. Because wherever your time goes, that's where your heart is. Amen? If you watch the watch, it'll tell you if you're available. Now, let me, let me give you this preface. Ministry always happens on the most convenient of time frames. And if you don't get the sarcasm in my voice, you're not listening close enough. Faithful. We have to be available. We have sustained consistency. The Pope and I don't agree on everything, but he and I can find common ground here. He says, inconsistency on the part of pastors and the faithful between what they say and what they do, between the word and the meaning of life, excuse me, and manner of life is undermining the church's credibility. That is true. That's what I just said. Is what, if what we say and what we do isn't the same, it's detrimental. You see, faithfulness means sustained consistency in the way that we think, the way that we talk, and the way that we walk. Inconsistency places both you and the people you hope to reach at risk. It puts you in risk because you know what? If you're being inconsistent and you're starting to walk out of bounds and you're starting to stray off from the herd, guess what? Devil loves sheep all by themselves. And then it makes it difficult for us to reach our world. Third, teachable. Do we possess a wanting willingness to be discipled and learn about God and his truths? Do you want to learn? We can put you in a university, but that doesn't mean you'll learn something. Jeff said, you know, you know, brother, I didn't even, I didn't even flunk out. I just dropped out. I just quit and walked away. I was on Scope Row for like the first 30 years of my college, you know, college career. That's a whole different story. And you know what my problem was? It was my heart. It wasn't the school. It was me. You know, it seems to always get back to me, but that's a different sermon. But do you possess a desire and a willingness to learn about spiritual things? And I want to say this. Today, there is no excuse for not partaking in a daily mind vitam of biblical truth. There's just not an excuse, ladies and gentlemen. I know you're busy. But with all of the technology and with all of the apps that we have, my friends, there's simply not an excuse not to at least get your daily dose of vitamin C, meaning Christ. We have apps for that. Part of the challenge with the church universal is this, is we're grossly unhealthy. 
I want to challenge you. Make time. And if you don't know how, listen, between Josh, myself, and Chuck, there's, a, there's an app for that. And, and you can do it. You can do it. You'll be surprised. I, I love what Winston Churchill said. He says, the most important thing about education is appetite. Boy, isn't that the truth. If you don't have a hunger for it, it's going to be a whipping all the time. So we're going to do something here. You see, you guys are kind of feeling a little low. I'm feeling some low energy in here. Jimmy's not picking on you. We're just talking. Does anyone see something on this slide that seems out of place? And you're like, what's that? The Cowboy Star? How does that fit in? Was Churchill a Cowboys fan? Oh, absolutely he was. No, no, I'm going to let you behind the curtain. I did this intentionally. I'm going to let you behind the curtain, okay? That little star is put there as a visual cue for me to tell you this story. The truth is available to us, and there's not an excuse not to access it. A few weeks ago, a family was blessed with tickets to the Cowboys game. Is it a blessing? I don't know. Anyway, but they got free tickets. Who doesn't want to go to a free Cowboy game? Right? But you know when they play? Sunday. So here, this wonderful family had a choice to make, right? But you know what? We live in a world where you can watch church in your car on the way to the game. What? You see, they had an appetite, what, for spiritual truth. They can dine in their car. It's like fast food. On the way to the game. What a deal. So now, as you look at, as, as you're watching me teach and stuff, now you're going to start looking. Well, what is that? Listen, everything up there has a purpose. Just let me tell you that. Let's quickly get done with it. You have to be eternity-minded. Do you ever think of heaven? Pam, do you ever think of heaven? How often? Every day. More, just one time a day? No? Miss Sylvia, you ever think of heaven? All the time. Mazel tov. Listen, I think of heaven a lot. I do. I think of heaven a lot. And if you're a believer, I, I, can't, I can't imagine a day that goes by that you don't think of heaven for one reason or another. But the question behind the question is this, is what do we think about other people's heaven? The Bible says that heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Hebrews tells us that just as people are destined to die once and then the judgment my friends, there's judgment coming. And unfortunately, every day people pass away. And I think about my heaven, but the Acts 1-8 mandate should motivate us to think about other people's heaven. I had a man in my office on Friday. Homeless guy. Soaking wet. I called three family members, three of them, one of them being his mama. And every single one of them said, no, not welcome. I was able to get him in out of the weather, but not able to answer the lifelong challenges.
And I've been consumed with that guy's heaven ever since. So when we think of heaven, let's be thinking about other people's heaven. It's only when we truly know and understand that we have a limited time on the earth that we have no way of knowing when that time is up will we then begin to live each day to the fullest as if it was the only one we had. Well, that'll hurt a person's feelings right there when you realize that we're not going to live forever in this life anyway. And then you reach the stage in my life where I go, well, yeah, I'm middle-aged. And they go, no, I don't think you are. That'll hurt a man's feelings. But also when you realize not going to be on this stage forever. One day will be my day. A great motivator. Relational. Heard this mentioned earlier too. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's true. That is true. There is a truth in that. Um, Matthew 25 says this. I love the messages rendering. He says, then those sheep who are going, are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I'm telling you this solemn truth. Whatever you did to one of these, whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. That's the power behind the Acts 1-8 mandate. Lord, when did we, Lord, when did I ever, when you've done it unto the least of them, you've done it unto me. Relational. Often people's skills are measured in compassion and kindness. You may not be the most people person person. Okay. You don't have to be what you're not. But I can tell you this, passion and kindness goes a long way, and it translates in everyone's ear. Amen? Amen. Compassion and kindness builds bridges. And when we build a bridge by choice, it doesn't have to be a long bridge. We think in our minds, man, listen, I don't know if I like this person enough to spend five hours a week with them. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a guy or a gal in a, in a drive through window. We're, we're talking about these moments when we just come together and we show compassion and kindness, and the bridge may only be two steps long, but who knows who's adding to that bridge? Who knows when you might get to add to that bridge? There are people in this room that I met years and years ago. Miss Elaine, how long? 22 years? We were both younger then. You don't know. But one thing I do know is this. Sometimes when you start building a bridge, that bridge just gets bigger and stronger and just might last a lifetime. You don't know. When you start the bridge, you don't know. 
we must be reminded that God's will cannot be hindered by any person, plan, or principality. My friends, understand this, that God's will will not be thwarted. God's will will not be thwarted by anything man-made and it will not be thwarted by our shortcomings, whether intentional or unintentional. However, we can either be a part of or we can be a part from. So, are you the type of person God is after? Available, faithful, teachable, eternity-minded, relational? Are you? If not, why not? If you don't know, ask the Lord to help you. If not, let's talk about that. If you are, keep up the good work. I used to always think, you know, they'd teach and they'd always give you kind of the low side of things. But listen, if you're out there, man, and you are doing your dead level best to fulfill the Acts 1-8 mandate, then God bless you. Keep doing that. I love this quote. Sir Henry Stanley said, after discovering David Livingston in the heart of jungle, said this, spending time in Central Africa uh, with David Livingston, he said, if I had been with him any longer... I would have been compelled to be a Christian. And he never spoke, spoke to me about it at all. Livingston's witness went far beyond mere words. The Acts 1-8 mandate resonates in my soul every day. And everywhere I go, because I'm privileged to be born again and to claim heaven. I'm privileged to be called pastor of authentic life. I'm privileged to be called husband to Sharon Sampson. The privileges in my life are longer than both arms. And I owe that all to the Lord because I know the man that I was and I fear the man I would have been. And it's the least I can do. Brothers and sisters, the world has lost its way. But the church, the church individual, the church family, the local church and the universal church is the lighthouse built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ that a soul can be navigated out of the storms of life into the harbor of hope. But if I'm not doing my part, I don't get to be a participant in what God wants to accomplish. 
If I'm not doing my part, someone just might perish in the storm. And I'm thankful for those people all those years ago who took the Acts 1-8 mandate serious. And helped this ship find safe harbor. God has called us to be a part. And we need to continue in that. We need to recommit to that. Our world is in desperate need of a clear, accurate, and persistent delivery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Time is short. You're saying, Jimmy, are you saying Jesus is coming back? Uh, if Jesus wouldn't tell his disciples, he's not telling me. But I'm telling you this. The ears that choose to hear the gospel are becoming less and less. They project that as quickly as in the next 25 years, Christianity in America will be less than 25%. Now, you know, I don't, I don't know, but I can say. But the beautiful thing about it is this: is the Bible says that even the gates of hell shall not prevail against this church. The greatest challenge to the church is those of us that are inside of it. It's me. It's me. I'm, I'm the greatest challenge to the inside of this church. It's me. It's you. We are so blessed. And God doesn't really ask all that much from us. And I hope that you'll join me in taking the Acts 1-8 mandate, and I pray that you'll hear it every day of your life. I pray that you'll hear it everywhere you go. And I pray that someday, like myself, it's the measuring stick of my day. It's what gets me out of bed in the morning. It's what causes me not to react like the world would have me to react. It's what causes me to guard. Because I want to finish the race. With you and for you. More than anything. More than anything. More than anything. 
And I want that to be your desire too, to finish the race. That you can hear from our Savior, well done, my good and faithful servant, and that this world just might remember us, not for how great we were, but how faithful we were. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, I just thank you for this day. And Father, I just feel like I kind of got lost in myself here a little bit, and I pray, Lord, that your desired message would be heard and understood. Father, I don't even know how to express all that this simple passage means to me. And how deeply, Lord, you stuck it into my heart so many years ago. An uneducated, inexperienced, juvenile of a man who is just foolish enough to be available. And God, you've done exceedingly and abundantly more than I ever could have imagined. And Father, that is my prayer for each and every one of these folks. Lord, is that they could say that of themselves. Lord, not that they would be pastor of a church, or, but Lord, they would just be faithful, obedient children of the King. And they too could say, Lord, you've done exceedingly and abundantly more. Father, in a world that's, man, a bit discouraging at times. Lord, you tell us to keep going. Be faithful. Father, we thank you so much for your son who makes heaven our promise. We thank you so much for his returning, Lord, that one day where you are, we too shall be. Father, we thank you so much that you give us the opportunity to be a part of your process. And God, I thank you so much that you're bigger than me. Father, I pray for this, your church, as we enter into this time of thanksgiving and celebration of the earthly birth of our King. Lord, that we'll be reminded of this mandate. Lord, with grace and humility, Lord, seeking to leave the world a better place than we found it. And we'll give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.